This episode of The Table Podcast is brought to you by Southern Fusion Barbecue Sauce. You can pick up some of that spicy Southern sweetness at southernfusionbbq.com. Taking a biblical look. Taking a biblical look at everything. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening to The Table, table, to the table Podcast. Well, good morning, New Life. How are y'all this morning? Good. Glad to see y'all. Um... Just wanted to give Scott kind of his full break. One of the things that um, when I had the privilege of kind of coming around and hanging out here and serving, I, I looked at him kind of on his first vacation and I was like, man, why, why don't you take the whole time and even the Sunday that you start and the Sunday that you end so you're not preparing or worrying about doing a, putting together a sermon. So um, it'll all be over in about 45 minutes. So just don't worry about it. But um, we're, we're going to be in Psalm 126 this morning. For you, for you all that have your Bibles or your apps or whatever, um, I want to encourage you to have your Bible. Um, I'm a big proponent for that, to have a hard copy of God's Word so you can write down and take notes and highlight and do all sorts of stuff. Um, I've really enjoyed, personally, being in the Psalms this summer, working through. I have, uh, honestly, I, I have a confession to make. I have never read from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. I've never read the full book of Psalms. I have read a lot of Psalms. Um, but this is the first time that I've ever spent time continually working through our reading plan, reading uh, the book of Psalms. But uh, this, uh, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 126. Um, and the big overarching theme of Psalm 126, there's going to be a theme of restoration. Um, when I was 16 years old, or maybe 17, 16, 17 years old, um, I came home from school one day and I saw my father... Uh, one of his friends had an old roll, rollback pickup truck, and on the back of that rollback pickup truck, it was pulled up all the way to our garage, kind of that sits kind of to the back of our property, and it was pulled up, dropping off a 1978 uh, uh, Z28 Camaro. It was Raleigh Sport Edition, had T-tops. Now you're thinking, oh man, this thing was like brand new. No, it was rusted out. It was. It wasn't. The body was salvageable, um, but what my dad loved about it was the, the inner workings, the transmission and the, the engine and the, the frame of the car was in good condition. And with uh, my father being a, a mechanic all of his life, and, and he actually held, held his NASCAR mechanics license in the 70s and on in the early 80s, um, my dad wanted to teach his son how to restore a vehicle. Um, and his son, when it comes to working like that, he has two left hands. So I, I, I didn't know much about it. So we were going to spend him teaching me, this time teaching me, how, how to work on a car, how to fix a, a, just a regular carburetor 350 engine. And this was going to be my car to drive. For some reason, he thought it would be smart to give a, a 16-year-old a 350 Z28. Um, whatever, Dad. Okay, he, he, he loved Camaros. He actually had a... He had a 70 split bumper rally sport and he had, um, actually my mom and my dad got married and the car that they drove off in was a 1972 white rally sport Z28. For those of y'all that are keeping score at home, my dad loved Camaros. And so he, he, he backs, the car gets unloaded and I look at it and I'm like, this is, this is going to be my car. At the time, at the time I wanted, I wanted a 1996 Chevrolet Blazer. For y'all that grew up in that era, y'all understand Chevrolet Blazer, you just you were roll the windows down, put that hatch back up, go flying down the Highway Nine. That was the thing, um, and and I later got that car, but um, that's the car I wanted. I didn't want the '78 Camaro. I didn't realize the beauty in it at the time. But now I look back at it, 
And unfortunately, a few months later, my father uh, relapsed with his battle with cancer, and he got really, really sick, and we, could never, we were never able to restore the vehicle. But America loves the idea, loves the thought. We are infatuated almost with the thought of restoration. Okay? So much to the point that we have television channels that focus on restoration. We have complete product lines, and, and, and I, want, I, want to, I, want to take, I want to take a vote here. Is there anyone in this room today that does not have something, a product from Chip and Joanna Gaines? That does not have a product from Chip and Joanna Gaines? Okay, all right, so we got, we got a couple. But how many of y'all do have something from Chip and Joanna Gaines? Like a bowl, a, a something, yeah. Go ahead, Kenna, raise your hand high, go ahead, yeah. Um, we call them Aunt, Aunt Chip and Uncle Joanna. Uncle Joanna? What? Uh, Uncle Chip and Aunt Joanna. Um, but we love, like, the, the whole thing with Chip and Joanna Gaines was you, you love to watch them take this, the Fixer Upper. That was the show, right? They take, and then there's another show called Small Town. Is that right? The Small Town. There's a, there's a couple that does it from Mississippi. Um, but we love the idea of taking something that once was like a beautiful home and restoring it to its former glory. And the, the family goes in, oh, it's great, it's amazing, you know, that whole thing. It started even before Fixer Upper with the, uh, the show that was on ABC. I forget what the name of it was called. I, but y'all get where I'm going at. We love, we love to watch things be restored. And so here's the question that I want to ask for you guys. What if we could see rest- restoration on a bigger scale? Now pump the brakes, yes. What if we could see America restored? Right? We're all, we're all in agreement with this. But what if we could see America restored God's way and not our way? So here's where I may step on your toes a little bit. What if it's not through a political figure or a political party? Because when we look at this example here in a minute, it, it was done God's way. What if God does it his way? Are we all in favor for that? I'm in favor for that. I would love to see a government, a, a Christocentric government ran. Like I am all for it. Because God's law is beautiful, okay? Every bit of it. So, so here, we, here we have this, but what, what, what if we could see? What if we could see God restore? Now, what would our reaction be? And not just a slow restoration, but just all of a sudden, boom. We wake up Monday morning, and we're, we're hearing Scripture being read on the news channels as a part of like the, the first part of Fox News in the morning or, or CNBC or wherever, the first 30 minutes of their show is, is a pastor on there giving a devotion before the news stories are read. What if we would, what would our reaction be? I, I would, I'd be praising the Lord. That would be awesome. First part of our school days. First part, you go, you go to work wherever you work at. Before you hop in your truck or, or, or go get in, your, get in your car or sit down at your desk, your, your coworkers gather to pray and have a small devotion, like, and it's just there. It happened overnight. Boom. That's kind of what we're going to be looking at here now, in a way. So with that restoration, that, that thought of restoration in mind, this is where we're sitting with Psalm 126. Now, Psalm 126, we've got to have the backstory. It's going to be kind of crazy because I'm going to spend probably equal amount of time talking about the backstory of Psalm 126 as I am the, the actual Scripture too. Because in order to understand the Scripture better, we have to understand the backstory. Okay? 
The backstory, we've all, all heard of Jeremiah chapter 29. The backstory for this scripture starts in Jeremiah 29. The most famous verse coming from Jeremiah chapter 29 is Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Okay? But when you read the first part of Jeremiah chapter 29, that passage clearly states that it is written to the children of Israel that are about to be sent in exile to Babylon. Okay? In case you're wondering, once again, if you're keeping score at home, Babylon was not the godly country. It wasn't the greatest place. It wasn't a great place to be, especially if you were a follower. If you were a follower of Yahweh, the Jewish people. Um, there's a lot that goes into this whole thing, but but this was the beginning. Jeremiah 29 was the beginning of. We're kind of seeing 126 is kind of the end celebration. So this is the beginning of the story that ends in Psalm 126. So, so we look at Jeremiah 29, and he looks at him, uh, looks at the people, the children of Israel, and he says, "Yeah, hey, I know the plan. Listen, what you're about to go through is going to be r- pretty rough, for the lack of a better expression. But I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. And we know that. I'm going to say this with all the love in my heart that I can. And, and you know what, we can talk about it later if you want to, but Jeremiah 29, 11 is not written about you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not written about you. It is written to the children of Israel. However, we look at Romans 8, 28, and we see a similar principle. Because in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know all things work together for the good of them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. So a similar promise there. But Jeremiah 29, 11 is not about you. Jeremiah 29, 11 is about the children of Israel sent into exile, being ready to be sent into exile uh, to Babylon. So, but here's, here's some things that make this weightier. It was 70 plus, Psalm 126 happens 70 plus years after them being sent into exile. 70 plus years. And, and so, well, most of them were released after this 70 plus years. It was kind of a staggered release type thing. There's a lot more to that. Um, but but uh, Sirius gave, gave the order, gave the decree in 537 B.C., and it was prophesied in Isaiah 44, 20 through, 24 through 45, 7. But they still had to journey home. And this is what gets me, is because we, okay, we're, they're released from captivity, from being exiled to Babylon. They're released, and we think it, it was literally... Uh, walking across the street. Okay, I'm in Babylon in captivity. Oh, woe is me. Not, not making light of this, but oh, woe is me. And we're back. In my mind, at least, that's where I was at with this. Until I started to look at what really what happened. So, so when the, the, the children of Israel were released from being in captivity, being ag- exiled in Babylon, they still had the journey to travel back to Zion, Jerusalem, God's city on a holy hill. This being a song of ascents. This was a song, when I preached a few weeks back, this is a song that they sang on their way to travel. Okay? A song of ascents. But, but here's something that kind of puts it into perspective. It was a 750-mile direct journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. However, the way that they traveled, it was over 1,700 miles by foot. To put that into perspective... To put that in perspective for us, 
That is the equivalent of us walking out the back door right here as a group of people and saying, hey, we are going to take a foot journey and travel on the major highways. This is us walking on major highways from Boiling Springs, South Carolina to Casper, Wyoming. Who's in for the trip? Y'all ready to go? Well, of course, my five, six was like, yeah, man, let's go. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that is, that's the distance that we're dealing with. Okay, so these things for me, I don't know if they do for you, but it helps me kind of grab the weight of the passage of Scripture this, that we're about to look at. So we got all this going on. But you still have to ask the question, why were they in this place to begin with? Why were the children of Israel in this place to begin with? Why do we have Psalm 126 after 70 plus years being exiled in Babylon? It was because of disobedience to the Lord. Now here's where it's going to hit home. This is where it's going to be a little bit harder. It was a generational drift that happened. See, the Jews that conquered the promised land were true to the Lord. Their children were as well. But the third generation broke the covenant and started to turn to idols. And this is what started the generational drift that led, that led them to be exiled in Babylon. Because see, when they started this drift, when they started to turn to idols... It, it was, it was, God then began to allow other nations to invade. That was kind of a way that he was trying to get their attention, a way that he was saying, hey, turn your hearts back to me. He was allowing, um, and, and then, but, but what Israel did is they, they began to rebel even more. And so the land itself began to be defiled. And so much to the point to where God just said, hey, you know what? I have to do a reset here. You've got to learn your lesson. And he put them into exile. 70 plus years. That's a long time. Think about it this way, and I think this is what we can pull from this before we dive into the Scripture. Mom, Dad, it only takes you making your relationship with Jesus an option for your grandchildren to not even know Him at all. And acknowledge that he exists. That is how close. Even your children. This is where Jerusalem was. This is where the, city, the, the, the children of God were. And this is where we can now get into Psalm 126. So Psalm 126, chapter, or, <laughs> chapter 126, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, let's, let's take a look at it. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version says this, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues were filled, were, uh, excuse me, then our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord is great, or excuse me, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. See, this moment of captivity, captivity 70 plus years, was so heavy, so hard, that this moment was un unreal to them. It was like a dream. They, they were actually, because God had done such great things, and think about this on the weight of traveling over 1,700 miles by foot, and every person along the way heard them proclaiming these words. And not just they were proclaiming about the great things that the Lord had done, but check out verse 2, the back end of verse 2. It, it says, then the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. 
And then it's, it's doubled down, and they, they're like, yes, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. They were audibly talking about the good things that the Lord had done on their way from being released from captivity. Again, y'all start to see a repetition of a story that happens between Genesis and Revelation, right? But they're talking about it along the way. The surrounding nations, some of whom Israel, were utterly astonished that at this event, they openly confessed that the God of Israel had done great things for them. Other people were talking about what God had done for them. Even people, even pagan nations were talking about the good things that God had done for the nation of Israel. He had brought, it was a comeback story. He had brought them out of 70 plus years of being exiled in Babylon, basically prisoners in Babylon, to restoring them to their city of Jerusalem. Look at the great things that the Lord has done for them. Now, here's the thing that I want to ask you. See, see, even those who hate God will acknowledge, will praise, will, will be influenced by the praise that you give with your words and your actions to honor God. That's what they were doing. Even the, even the people that, that worshipped and bowed at other idols, they were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's something real going on here because they were here they were here, then they were here, now they're going back here. Look at the great things that the Lord, and if you look at it in Scripture, if you look at it where, where we're at, when, when you see, it's all capital letters now, the, the, in my Bible, the L in Lord is a larger, but it's all capital after that too. It's talking about the one true living God. Look at the things Yahweh has done for them. And so they were singing about this blessing. Now, here, here's the thing, too. They were testifying in front of their peers, the people that watched them. Now, how many of y'all, uh, and I, I grew up in a church very similar to this, how many of y'all had testimony night on a Sunday night at church growing up? Anybody testimony night? Testimony night? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. We, we don't see it much anymore because a lot of you share stuff on Facebook. I'm going to leave that. Um, but, but it was a good thing of where, you know, we didn't have the ways of communication like that. Uh, honestly, if something good, my mom, I love her, loved her. She's a great woman. She, I'm, I'm the reason I follow, she's the reason I follow Jesus today. She influenced my life greatly. But if something good happened, she was on the horn telling a lot of her friends about it. If the Lord had done something good, my mom would spend two or three hours talking to various people you know, talking now, sometimes she did gossip, I'll say that. But she would, she would be on the phone. She had a phone right beside her chair, and it was hours and hours. And, and if it wasn't that form of communication, there really wasn't a great way, other than the newspaper or the news that you watched on television, to really mass relay great things, great things that had happened. So when we all gathered as a, a group of believers at, at testimony night, I, I was a kid. I, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at the time. I didn't understand it. But that was, that was a way that people would stand up and talk about the good things that the Lord had done. And so this song of ascents, this song, these first couple of verses were the way that the children of Israel were talking about, hey, think about it just for a second. We as Americans don't fully understand even the notion of us being in captivity to another nation immediately arises something. No, we're America. We're going, we're going to fight it kicking and screaming. We're going, we're going to go to war, right? 
Even thinking about that, even that notion as Americans, we're like, we, we, we don't know because we're not familiar with it. But see, here's where I have to ask myself. Verse 3, note, note this. They, they credit and praise. They say, the Lord has done. The Lord has done this. Notice they didn't say, we got ourselves out of captivity. We did all this. No, they said, the Lord has done this. The Lord has done it. So what, I ask myself this question, what do I go through on a daily basis that I don't give credit for the Lord, or I don't give credit to the Lord? We can start right here. Everybody take a big old deep breath in. Guess what? You didn't do that on your own. Even the simplest function of us breathing so that our body can have oxygen to feed our red blood cells, so that our organs can pump blood, so that uh, it starts a reaction. I don't, you know, I don't want to show my ignorance in biology here, but y'all get my point. The simple act of oxygenating our blood through our mouth and our nose, we can't even do without the Lord. But yet we automatically, we don't think about it. Now you may, I'm not, not totally discrediting you, but I'm just saying there's so much in our life that we don't give credit to the Lord for. And I think it does have a lot to do with, with the, the American way. I love the United States of America. I love my country so much. But that mentality, the I did it for myself mentality, has kind of worn on us and, and, and made us think that we don't need the Lord as much. Because I can provide for myself. I can, I can put food on the table. I can send my kids to school. I can pay for my wife's car. I can pay for my car. I can... I can do all this stuff. I, I, me, 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 I, me, I, me. Pump the brakes. You can't even take a breath or a step unless the Lord has ordained it. And I'm not saying that you're not man enough, you're not woman enough, you're not anything, but unless the Lord ordains it to happen, wills it to happen, you won't take the next breath. Which makes this, mo this moment right here such a beautiful thing. So the people were saying, <laughs> Lord, the Lord has done great things. The Lord has done it. And they were giving all the credit to Him. Okay? And, and see, here's the thing too. We're, they're, they're traveling 1,700 miles. I don't want y'all to lose track of that either. They're traveling and then they, they get to where they're at. And God did not just hand them a well-managed state back. Oh, here's the house that you left. Here's the, the city that you left. And it is in perfect, even better condition than when you left it. No, that was not it. Because we see that in verse 4. And, and verse 4 is kind of weird because when you, look at, when you look at this psalm, there's kind of two states of you, you've got, okay, we're praising the Lord here. We're praising the Lord. We're, he's done great things. He's done great things. He's done great things. But then there's this shift to talking about agriculture. Now, agriculture was a big thing, a way to make money, all that. I get, I, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But it, it, was, it was praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And now we're going to talk about this emphasis about agricultural things. And he says, the, the psalmist says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Kind of pointing back to, God, give us, bless us with the blessings that we had before. Restore them to us. And he says, like the streams in the Negev. 
What's a negib? That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Negib. 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 I'm not saying that other word that you think I'm saying. I'm not saying negib. I'm saying negib. But, but it, what, what that was, it was kind of a river basin, a stream, a place to get water, a place of supply. Now, when they would plant and seed crops and do all of that fun stuff, there wasn't a great way, you know, there was a way of irrigating the crops and all that other stuff, but the way that most of the crops would receive the water that they needed for the season of growth was that this stream right here would overflow during raining season and flow over into the crops and water the crops, thus giving the crops what they needed, thus giving the food and also the, the surplus in order for the children of Israel to make and have commerce and all that. We, we, we still have that concept today because we, we plant the crop, you know, the farmer plants the crop, he, he, he lives off the harvest, but then he takes and he sells the harvest as well and makes money off of it, and he supports his family, and he also puts money back into buying more supplies so he can wash, rinse, repeat the whole process. So that's, that's what's going on here. That They're asking, Lord, don't just restore us to our city, but Lord, give us the things that we had before. We realize the way of our errors, and we know that we are nothing without you, so give us another chance to do this. Restore what we had before so that we can still say what they were saying in verse four or verse 3, where they were still saying, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. See, droughts are tough. I remember a few years back we went through a drought. kind of feels like it's been a minute since we've been through a drought. Now, there's been many droughts, like small droughts. But I remember as a child growing up, there were points where, and I was talking with my sister the other day, there was one time, I, I remember it was in the 90s, I know, I'm old, um, but that there was a drought to the point to where Spartanburg had put a water restriction on it. You couldn't water your lawn, couldn't wash your car, couldn't do those things. And, I, and we remember, my wife and I were, oh, my, my sister and I, not my wife, my sister and I were talking about um, how we would go out in the yard to play and the grass looked like wintertime. It was crispy and fried because it was a lot of high heat, no water. And I remember Lake Bowen and Lake Blaylock, you had docks still sitting on the water. Like, time of droughts are tough, but the Lord restores. See, the children of Israel are looking at this moment and they're seeing kind of what the work that needs to be done. Yes, praise the Lord, they've been restored to the city, but there's work that still needs to be done. But the Lord restores. And so God has, through their discipline, ning, through their disciplining, God has re kind of uh, their, their mentality. Their, their, they now see the errors of their ways and really kind of living in true repentance here, saying, God. You are the one that restores. Give us the water that we need so that we can glorify your name even more. We can say, blessed be the Lord. All praise to his name. And so that transitions us into even more of the psalmist's focus on this agricultural emphasis. Because with the crops growing, with the seeds being planted, being sown, the crops you know, growing, the water, the, the river overflowing, the, the, the water going to the crops, eventually it leads to harvest time. So verses 5 and 6, focus on this. It says this, Those who sow in tears, those who sow in tears, shall reap with shouts of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. Now, we have the biblical principle of sowing and reaping here too. And this is something that I really, I really want to challenge y'all with. Sowing and reaping is, is a biblical principle. And, and I want to say this in love. Don't cheapen a principle that is established by God by calling it a pagan name. By calling it some other thing. A lot of times, oh, the principle of sowing and reaping, oh, that's just karma. No. It's sowing and reaping. Why? Because the one true living God established that principle. That is His order. That is His law. You're not going to take it and steal it and use it for something else. You're not going to cheapen what my God does. That is His law. That is His order. That is the way that He does things. Not the universe. You're not going to give credit to the creation and bypass the Creator. See, when we look at this though, See, the, no, the notion of sowing and reaping is presented here. And, and we have a hard, hard warning for us in Galatians 6, 7. As far as sowing and reaping is concerned. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so the principle of sowing and reaping is established here in verse 5. They're sowing with tears of joy. Or, or t- sowing with tears and, and the psalmist is saying, we shall reap in shouts of joy. So two contrasts here of what's going on. And, and so the mind then wonders, well, why are they sowing with tears? Why do they have tears in their eyes as they're sowing? Well, think about where they are. They're reestablishing themselves in, in the land that God has given to them, again. And, and they have little to nothing. See, building back, rebuilding is tough. It's a process. It's not easy. It just doesn't happen overnight. Rebuilding something, is, is, it takes a while. And so they're in the process of rebuilding. Some of, these, some of the farmers are reestablishing the crops, reestablishing the land, reestablishing tilling and sowing and all, all this other stuff that hasn't been done in 70 plus years maybe. And all they had with them is what they could carry with them out of captivity. So a lot of these people, when they were planting these crops in order to survive but then also to jumpstart their economy they were probably going and planting with things you know i heard the principle of the concept of seed corn we got any farmers in here any people that work you know farm farm have experience in farming anything maybe y'all can check me on the on the way back or whatever um but the the far, farmers will take what's called seed corn and it's it's corn that they put to the side it's not corn that they eat it's corn that they reserve in order to have crops for the next coming year. Well, that's all they had. That's it. it it's what they had on them, what they had possessed. They didn't have any, anything to lean on, any, any previous crops to lean on in order to ensure next year's crop. All they had to sow was what God had given them at that moment, was the seed corn to put in the ground. And once the seed corn was put into the ground, left to be watered and to grow... There wasn't anything else. It was wait on that corn to grow so we can celebrate at harvest time and eat. So that's why they were sowing with tears because they, they, they were trusting in the Lord, but, but they didn't 
it, it was hard. And there are times in our life where we don't know what's going on, but we know we got to give what God has given us. We've got to be faithful. And it's not just about money, y'all. See, tithe applies to time, talents, and treasures. And so when we're giving our time, time talents, and treasures, and we don't, we don't have a lot to give, and we're putting that, sowing, we're sowing that into the ground, into the soil of New Life Baptist Church, or of fellowship, we're, 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 we're sowing it into the ground of, of a Christian community around us, and we don't know what the Lord's going to do with that, and it's all we got to give, and then we act astonished, amazed that the God that delivered them 70 plus years in exile starts to provide bumper crops at harvest time. Because it's God's economy. See, we see God's economy work with the five loaves and two fish and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a principle demonstrated here too, like I said. You know, talking about the seed corn. It, it, it's a point of total reliance on God. Sometimes, and here's the thing, sometimes he's got to take us to that place where we don't have seed corn or where we don't have stock, stockpiles in our barn, where we can't rely on ourselves. See, I, I think with America, uh, now, God, y'all, y'all don't hear me what I'm saying. I love my country, and I don't want to sound like I'm bashing, but a lot of times, because we can go to the store right now. Man, I love Publix. How many of y'all? Man, I love Publix. My wife has kind of gotten on to me because I go to Publix. I've gone to the Publix too much over the past couple of weeks, but I love Publix. But we can go into Publix right now. I can walk over to the counter, get my ultimate sub, mayo, mustard, a little oil, vinegar, salt, pepper, put it in the bag, grab me a bag of chips, and I can head out the door and Jimmy's got lunch. Right? I can go, I can walk down the aisles of Aldi. I can walk down the aisles of Walmart. I can go to Papa John's and get me a pizza. I can go to Zaxby's, get me a wings and things. Tongue torch, in case you're keeping score at home. Again, um, but we have surplus all around us. So we've gotten a little comfortable, a little security in what we can provide for ourselves. And sometimes that hurts us. I would argue that that hurts us as Americans because we've rarely been in a place where we have to have our full reliance on God. And a lot of times, it takes Him bringing us to a point of Maybe losing a loved one, or a medical scare, or a, a, a favorite pet being lost, or losing your home, or your car, or whatever, for us to submit and to see that we need to rely on God more. But the nation of Israel has, has looked at this, and they go, hey, we know. Because you sustained us and provided for us in 70 plus years of exile, we know that when the man, the, the Jewish man planting the seed corn knows that God's going to take care of him. Why? Because he's got a track record of the past 70 years. If God can take me out of exile and bring me here, but also sustain me while I'm in exile, he's going to take care of the seed corn when it's in the ground. And I'm going to be provided for. That's a principle that you see in the New Testament too because he even, he even points to even the birds. Why are we worrying? We don't need to worry. Even the birds uh, of, the, of the air know they don't worry about what they look like. They don't worry about where their next meal is going to come from because they're his creation and, and the creator takes care of his creation for the time that he sees fit for his creation to exist. 
Psalm 30, verse 5b. Because rebuilding, even waiting in the time for the, for the corn to come up or the crop to come up or for God to provide is tough. But in Psalm 30, verse 5, it says this, Weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the joy is in verse 6. The joy is in verse 6 of the, of the harvest. He says, He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come back with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. Now, we think, as Americans, we immediately, when we think harvest time, we go to my favorite holiday. Yes, my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. Love it. Not just for the food. Food's a big plus. Don't get me wrong. But the time that we can focus on, and, and here's the thing, I know this is going to be a lame phrase or whatever, we need to make Thanksgiving great again. Like, I know, I know oh, that, that's what the political figure, what, whatever. We need to make, we need to, we really need, as people, as, as people who love Jesus and follow Christ and worship here at New Life Baptist Fellowship, we need to make Thanksgiving great again. Because a lot of times, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of times we get, we, 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 we kind of wrestle through the process We'll watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And when Santa Claus comes, we'll say the blessing for our turkey and eat our turkey and watch the Dallas Cowboys lose. You know, that's Thanksgiving. And then we're like, all right, where's the papers? What's the sale? Do we need to go get in line at Best Buy? Do we need to, what's Amazon doing on Monday? What's cyber? That's immediately our mind shift. We, and I'm talking about myself here. There's several times where I'm just going through Thanksgiving and I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for my cat. Um, Thank you, Lord, for my car. You know, that, that time. Yes, we're thankful. No, but like genuinely sitting down at that meal going, Lord, you have provided everything on this table. You have given me a job so I can get the paycheck, so I can pay the bills to cook the turkey, to buy the turkey. To, the, you've, you've given health to me and my wife and my family so we can prepare this meal. You, you have genuinely provided for all of it from the point of seed corn to harvest. And so this is the, the, the image that's going on here is, the, is that there... I don't know if y'all have ever seen a sheath, a sheave, not a sheath, not what you put your sword into, but a, but a sheave, excuse me, a sheave is, is actually a stack of grain. So it's, it's, they, would, they would rally, round up the grain and put them in these big stacks and tie them up. And, and it was really, I, kind of in my research for all this, I saw, was, you know, they, did, they would either, you know, find ways to transport them out of the field, but a lot of times, they would genuinely just have to carry them, and what they would have to do is put them over their heads and like carry them one at a time out of the fields. And it's just the celebration of harvest. They're shouting for joy because once again, the Lord has provided for them. They, they're shouting for joy because the Lord has brought them through a tough season. I mean, I've seen some tough times in my childhood. My dad was diagnosed, like many of you guys know, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. The day I came home from kindergarten was, was the day that he came home from the hospital. He was what's now known as colon cancer. He was diagnosed with colon cancer, and, and he had to have a major surgery in that time. And so he came home from that major surgery the first day I got off the bus from kindergarten. And he passed away my senior year of high school that December before I graduated high school. During that time, my mom 
had to work three to four jobs to keep a roof over our head. There's a lot of people in this room that knew my mother. The phrase having to rob Peter to pay Paul was common in my family. There were days that I would have to sit in the back of that, that, the family car, that Cutlass Calais with a 305 in it, um, going from gas station to Ingalls to Community Cash to Piggly Wiggly to whoever would take a check from my mom and hold it for a couple of days so she could make a bill, get a bill paid. So I've seen tough times. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, poor Jimmy. I'm saying that to look how the Lord has provided and sustained me and taken care of me. Because as a child, I mean, y'all can look at me, right? I ain't missed many meals at all, if any. The Lord's provided. Now, the Lord has, has walked McKenna and I in our 10 years of marriage through some tough, tough times. The process of bringing Maddox. There's a lot of joy in that. But there were also a lot of times where we stood holding each other crying because we got the phone call that a birth mother didn't, decided to go with another couple. Or that a birth mother, that the, the, the whole process fell through. It's a tough season. It was a tough time. Those were tears that were being sown. You know, those, and even speaking more specifically, not knowing how God's going to provide, that, that just being faithful and you know that God, if we plant the seed in the soil, how God's going to take it and go with it. You know, I was, I was a person that was always cynical of the, the check in the mailbox story. God has a funny way of, of doing things. And he, he righted me of that wrong, I would say, through our process of adopting Maddox. Because there would be a, a certain point in the process where we would have to have a certain amount of money to, to hand over to the adoption lawyer. And we didn't know how we were going to do it. And I would go check the mail. And there would be a random check from a person, from an organization, with a note saying, hey, we, we want to encourage you in what you're doing and changing the life of this little child. Hope this helps. And it would be for the amount that was needed for us to meet that, that checkpoint in our process of adoption. See, God's faithful. He's going to take care of us. We know this. This is, this is, this is what the people of Israel were seeing and, and, and seeing it through, this, through the protection and the provision and the restoration of, of this whole process of this psalm. This is them proclaiming this as they're walking in, as they're reclaiming their city. And people, once again, we, I talked to you all about in Psalm 121, the, the travel, the trails, the, the hardship that they had to go in the traveling of over 1,700 miles by foot. And they're saying all of this. They're saying, the Lord has done great things for He, for we are glad. And, and that he who goes out weeping, bearing the seeds for show, sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with them. They were bringing their sheaves, being restored to the land that God had given them. Here's what I don't want y'all to miss. Is that as we back the truck up and back out and get a bigger picture of this whole psalm, this is really a psalm that we still need to sing today of God's faithfulness. Because paradise was lost in Genesis. 
to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And, but there was a promise given. And through that promise, God began the process of restoration. Because see, what we don't realize is that 70 years plus years of exile in Babylon, we can read through Judges and also Leviticus, we see the list of rules and regulations. Those lists and rules and regulations right there were, were such to preserve the bloodline of Christ. And so as we back out and we sit here and we say Jesus and we praise Jesus for the work on the cross and His death and His burial and His resurrection, we have to realize the faithfulness of our God. That this was a story that has started since creation and we're proclaiming and praising since the start of creation of God's faithfulness of bringing Christ to the cross. And through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, we have that. We have the door is open for us to be in right relationship with the same God that they're praising right here in Psalm 126. Because of our sin, that barrier was put and we could not be in right relationship. We could not be in His presence. But God in His faithfulness and His love and in His mercy brought Christ, took on flesh, took sin to the cross. Through His death, burial, and resurrection is defeated and we can stand in right relationship with Him. Excuse me. They were sent in exile to Babylon because of their disobedience in the promised land. Like I said, they were given rules to follow to preserve the nation that was in exile. And the whole time, those rules and regulations were demonstrating to the pagan nations that this was the one true living God. So don't miss... The notion of that if you're going through a season of hardship where it feels hard, where you may have some time, trouble, whatever, you're not in the ideal situation and life's not all sunshine and rainbows, don't miss the fact that God may have you there so that they, the people around you can see how you respond to that moment. And when they see how you respond to that moment, they will end up praising God. They will end up saying, man, there's something different. There's something different about them. It's a Monday morning and they're in their cubicle humming and singing and praising the Lord. What's wrong with them? You're right. There is something wrong with me. I'm talking about the great things that the Lord has done. See, that coming out of exile through the rest of the account of through the Old Testament, and I said this before, God continues to demonstrate His faithfulness through the bloodline for which the Messiah would come, Jesus Christ. This was God working this was a part of the this was a small gear in the whole process of the big watch that was God working out the process of bringing out the Messiah so we could be in right relationship with him. This is not just a psalm that we read and gloss over because here in a couple of days we'll go through this psalm. This is not a psalm that we're just going to read through and gloss over. It's a psalm that is an actual account of history and it's a record. So here's my challenge for you. Realizing that God's biggest work of faithfulness to the protection, provision, and restoration of His Son and through, uh, through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have a relationship with Jesus, are you, are you really proclaiming and professing and can people look at your life and go, as they said in verse 3, or no, excuse me, in verse 2, 
It said, then the mouths were filled with laughter and the tongues shouted with joy. And then they said among the nations, yeah, the Lord has done great things for them. Again, the people watching you say the Lord has done great things for you. There's something real about that. And then on the flip side, with everything that you do, everything that, that God has given, with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, are you saying in every area of your life, the Lord has done great things for us? I can stand here and tell you that the Lord has done great things for me as a 17-year-old as a that lost his dad and then 10 years later lost his mom. And then God has sustained me through my life, giving me an amazing life, but then also walking us through a time of very hardship, wanting to be a family, and then finally providing. When y'all see that little boy running around, there's a whole lot more than just a crazy little Puerto Rican child that I love dearly. And you better never say he's not my kid because I will fight you. I will fight you because he is a McFarlane from the word go. But that's God's faithfulness. God giving me a friend and a confidant, even in the time of the loss of my mother, that stood beside me even when I didn't want to be her boyfriend. She stood at my mom's funeral and watched my niece, or excuse me, watched my nephew with no guarantee of the future. That's God's provision in my wife. That's the kind of woman she is. So I can sit here and tell y'all that God has sustained and God has provided. And blessed be the name of the Lord. And I look at those hardships and times of my life, and when somebody talks about those times in my life, I'm like, no, the Lord did it. God did it. That's all, the, that's all God's doing. I had nothing to do with it. Everything that I got, my time, talents, and treasures, that's all for the Lord. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've got to be honest with yourself about this. Because of your, your comfort in who we are, have you been deceived that you don't really need a Savior, that you can hit a checkbox? You can stand and worship at a church. and Man, it's a great thing. Like, like Southern hospitality, Christianity makes you feel good. They write a bunch of songs about it. It's, it's a part of our culture in the South here. But do you genuinely realize that your sin is offensive to a holy God and you are separated without Christ? That's where we're at. Praise the Lord. Remember Him. Remember, remember His faithfulness for His, His, His provision. Remember His faithfulness for, for, His, for His protection. Remember His faithfulness for His restoration even on this 1,700-mile journey called life. And every step of the way, proclaim this psalm. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you about it. If the Lord's working on your heart about some other things here in a couple minutes, this altar's going to be open. band's going to come back up here right now and, and we're going to lead us in some time of worship. But I want to challenge you with, are you genuinely recognizing on every step of this journey called life as you are ascending to the holy city, to eternity, are you genuinely 
praising the Lord the whole way and acknowledging Him for every good thing and every not-so-good thing. You go home this afternoon, cornbread catches on fire in the oven. You got a kitchen fire, you know? Praise be the Lord. Well, that's kind of crazy. Jimmy, why? Because I had cornbread to cook in the oven. It happened. He's going to sustain me through it, sustain me through it. If it means we got to get a new oven, it means we got to get a new oven. It means we got to do call Surpro and get everything fixed. Praise the Lord, we got the means to do it. And even if we don't, praise Him with the seed that you got and put it in the ground anyway. See, that's what we need to realize is that we don't draw our next breath without the protection, provision, and restoration of the Lord. And God has done the greatest act of restoration through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, if you do not have a personal relationship where you have repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection, that is the biggest step of restoration that you can make with your life right now. If you're at a point where you say, I need to spend some time at these altars today and just repent and give it, give it back to God and even the seed that I have, give it to God so He can use it. I want to challenge you for that. I want to ask you where your time, talents, and treasures are going. Are they going to things of this world that are fleeting? Or are they going to things that are going to carry over into eternity? That's a question I've got to ask myself. Because I'm not, I'm not up here with the drill sergeant hand. I'm, pointing my, I may, I'm not wagging my finger either, but I've got three pointing right back at me. As the saying goes. Most importantly, I want, I want you to respond the way the Lord's leading you. Scott's going to be in the back of the room. I'll be up here up front. If you just need some time at these altars, if you need to talk after service, after we say amen, after we have the business meeting, you're more than welcome. If you need to call Scott, you need to call me during the week and we need to sit down. Hey, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. That's what we love to do. We love to talk about Jesus. We will, we will put everything on hold to stop and talk to somebody about what it means to follow Christ. So ever how the Lord's leading you this morning, I want to challenge you to listen to that. Respond how He's leading to you. Don't think about what other people are going to think. It's just you and the Lord right now. Let me pray. Lord, we thank You. We thank You for tonight. We thank You so much just for this time. And Lord, we thank You that Lord... The traveling from Babylon to Zion to the city on the hill to Jerusalem, God, is, is a bigger picture of, of, of us going from death to life. That Psalm 126, even though a psalm written by people in travel, reeks of your gospel of your story of restoration, of bringing your people from death to life so that we can know abundance and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of those things only in the Lord because it is only you to give. God, I don't know what work you're doing right now in the lives of the people around in this room, but Lord, we just ask that it's for your glory, that if gospel conversations need to happen, 
Lord, you do the work there. Lord, if it's, if it's work that, that, that only is done by people bringing bended knee to these altars, then Lord, so be it. But God, we, we just give everything to you and for your glory and your glory alone with everything that's going to happen and has happened this morning. Praise be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, you're welcome to email us, thetablepodcastsc at gmail.com, or you can leave us a live voice message at anchor.fm slash thetablepodcastsc. We'll see you next week right here at The Table.